All right. Hey guys, it's Nicole and for my Recovery Crone podcast and I have two very special guests with me today, Stacy and Megan. Yay! Yes. And today we're going to talk about depression. Yay! <laughs> Fun times. Fun times. Fun times in recovery. You can tell we're depressives at least in recovery, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we're laughing about yeah, it. We're laughing yes. about it. So we just checked in a little bit beforehand and we know that um, with depression comes anxiety, but we're going to do a separate podcast on that. So you can just, you know, look forward to that. And, uh, and so we were sort of taught right before I hit record and um, we just, we were talking about it and then I'm like, stop, let's record ourselves. <laughs> and we were talking about the stigma of depression and not the stigma or the stereotype. Yeah. There's the stigma piece, but then there's the stereotype. And we were talking about like, yeah, so we were saying basically how like the stereotype is kind of the slothful person, right? I know for me, I still I'm, part of it is reflected on like depression medication commercials, which yeah, some of it is accurate. Like they show this person in this like dark apartment yeah. and they're like lying down on the couch wearing like gray sweatpants, yeah. <laughs> and then you know start showing their life changing as they take this medication. But it's like yeah, some of that happens, and there's also more and more stories I think we're hearing about of like six very successful famous people who talk about having depression um, I was just hearing a story about I think it was Bruce Springsteen um, saying that he I don't know if he still does or he was struggling with depression and that was one reason why he was playing like four-hour shows because he's like it's the only time that I don't feel depressed so wow. his, his, yes. his concerts would just go on and on because then I gotta go back to my depression when we're done so yeah that's part of I think just starting to challenge that kind of old stereotype and narrative and then Megan mm -hmm. you were talking about some people you had heard about too oh uh Rachel Maddow who's uh, Rachel Maddow the the um woman on MSNBC oh okay uh talks about depression there's also for people who listen to podcasts a wonderful podcast called the hilarious world of depression oh. that talks to uh, mostly comedians about yeah. depression and there are like a lot of very successful people yeah. on that podcast the mental um, illness happy hour Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's also a podcast. Uh -huh. okay. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I got from that podcast was it doesn't matter actually what is happening in your outside life or the amount of validation that one has. Right. Uh, depression can still occur. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I think, I don't know if this is true, but I think Emma Thompson, you know, mm -hmm. um, sort of. She put it in her movie, and I, I, this is just whatever it could be the character, but I'm like, I bet you Emma put Has that in her mm -hmm. personal experience. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and the one that she did where she's the the hostess, you know, with uh, Mindy Kaling. Oh right, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she, I just saw that. There was just something about the line and whatever that I'm like. I bet you that's Emma. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that again, being a stand-up comic, because she was a stand-up comic, uh -huh. you know, being whatever. And it's like, yeah, and I struggle with depression. Yeah. You know, so again, just to one on the one hand to sort of normalize it, but um, which we want to do here. But also it's about being in recovery, having an eating disorder, having to go to meetings, having to be in recovery and being like, okay, I came into recovery for this. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I guess I want to start with um, not a lot of people know that, you know, everyone's like Bill. So for those who don't know, Bill Wilson was the founder of AA. He's the one that had the like white light experience mm -hmm. and was struck sober and uh, and then went around and tried to get other people sober and it didn't work. But he stayed sober. Then he found Dr. Bob, and then they together, you know, stayed sober and start, and they are the genesis of AA. Well, and that his white light experience carried him for about three years, and then um, it was so that would have been like 1938 or something like that, and and then they worked, and he did work and work and work, and he was really high on you know expanding AA. And then they had their first international conference in 1950, I believe. And they had they had it because Texas was going to put on a conference. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't have Texas put on a conference before he put on a conference. Uh -huh. And so it sort of so that's why they did it. And it was very successful. And after that conference, 
he fell into a deep, dark depression that lasted for like 15 years. Because mm. there was no medication at that time. Yeah. And people don't know that. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't right. know that, you know, that it's like, yeah, you can come into, even if you, because we're self-medicating out there. Yeah. You know, and then we come in and we get, you know, sober, you know, abstinent, and and then the journey begins, and we've, we've got to do like four step work we've got to deal mm -hmm. we've got to drudge this stuff up <clears throat> and so yeah and grief is part of recovery so you guys want to speak to that or yeah i think maybe actually it would be helpful for me to do maybe like a quick history of our depression sure. and how that works um i can yeah you can start or you can start um okay so this is megan um i will talk the first well I had, I had a major depressive episode in 2016 when I first moved to Portland, um, and I had, hadn't really recognized the way depression was playing in my life until that time. I think because I had shame around it or there was stigma around it. Um, and now through doing, I'm doing a lot of family of origin, early childhood work now, I can now see that I was pretty depressed um, for like my entire childhood. And I have specific memories of being in fifth grade. So I was like about 11 or 12 years old and waking up in the morning and thinking like, I just can't do another day of school today. Mm. And it wasn't that my school experience was even like that bad really. It was just like, it just seemed so overwhelming to me. And then I would like, fake illnesses so that I could mm. stay home from school and now like in retrospect I look back at that and think like oh my god that was totally mm -hmm. depression um and then I think uh, for me it always hits like in times of transition where I don't have a lot of community support so um the first year I moved to San Francisco the first year I moved to Portland um and what I have come to understand depression is or the way that it acts in my life now is a sense of abandonment mm. that 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 I'm like abandoned by society or like I don't have the community that I need to like maintain my mental health um and so the last sort of major bout of depression that I had was in 2016 and it really hit me like so intensely hard um, but then looking looking back in it in retrospect I can see periods of probably more like less um, less intense depressive episodes that I, I didn't really like see mm -hmm. at the time um, yeah so that's kind of a little bit of my history with depression Stacy do you want to talk about yours yeah um, yeah it's really interesting my understanding of depression has really changed over the years too i think just in my journey in recovery and more information about mental health just kind of our society becoming more educated all those things um for me i really first noticed um or yeah really noticed kind of depression as a feeling um when i was around 11 around the same time um, and it's really hard for me to separate it from the anorexia that had started in my life at that time. Like they, it's like they both were kind of born around the same time. Um, I didn't have one without the other really. Um, yeah. And that feeling of there's like a powerlessness and a helplessness around it. Um, and along with that time when I had started like restricting food, you know, it was kind of a gradual start getting into more extreme anorexia. Um, I also remember coming home and I sort of would convince myself I was sick. It's almost like I needed to believe that myself. I think I was tired just as, you know, any kid can get at different times. But I was just like, I'm just going to like hang out here in bed so I don't have to be in engaging with other people. And I can also avoid food and just all of the fraught territory that that is. But it just kind of like started some of that behavior. It's almost like I was trying it out, right? It was like my way of escaping. Um, and I kind of see like, so over the years, you know, that evolved into a lot of different things where, you know, depression was, depression was its own kind of coping tool, I think for me. And again, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm seeing it as almost just kind of a, a different symptom of the disease in some ways for me, you know, in the same way that, um, when our food behaviors are up, whatever those are, 
Um, that's sort of the canary in the coal mine about like what is really happening down deeper. And depression's kind of that way for me too, I think, um, where it's like, it's its own escape. It does make me feel safe when I would go into that kind of depressive behavior of just like blocking out the world. Like I can't deal with all of this. And so I'm just gonna like isolate myself and part of it would feel kind of initially good, right? And kind of protective. Um, but then there was definitely sort of like an immobilization that was part of that too. And again, I think that's where the helplessness or, or powerlessness would come in for me. It was like, I didn't have the tools. I didn't know how to respond to how I was feeling, you know, and the things that I didn't understand that were happening in my family at the time. So, um, yeah, it came out in the form of depression where really, you know, I see now when it, it emerges in my life, I try to see it as a signal, you know, or like a gift where it's like, what is it trying to tell me about something deeper that's going on? Um, I kind of almost think of it as like the secondary of like primary colors, right? If like the deepest stuff is like fear, shame, grief, like the really, you know, heavy stuff, then some of those things that might get mixed together and then the result is depression because I, I am incapable at that time for whatever reason to go straight into the fear, shame, or grief. Um, I kind of have to like hover around the outside um, and that's sort of how depression will manifest for me. So basically since that time, yeah, it would kind of come on off and on. I mean, I really struggled with it through high school. Um, again, I think it was just like sort of powerlessness in the face of, okay, well, I've got these eating behaviors that I have no control over and now I'm feeling completely demoralized by those. And then of course, you know, that morphed in between like anorexia and then binging. Um, and then just not, yeah, and feeling like really insecure, you know, that just kind of led into all that. And then just, again, feeling like I needed to isolate myself from people because I did not feel comfortable. And then even when I wanted to kind of engage, it was like I had sort of set up that environment that I didn't really know how to get out of it. Um, and then going on to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol and, you know, that would work for a while until, of course, that just makes depression worse. So then I'd go through, you know, whole periods of um, coming down from that. And yeah, really going back and forth, like throughout college and even kind of beyond um, of like being really high functioning at times and then going into that more sort of stereotypical, like slothful kind of depressive state. And another thing I think of now when I look at that is partially because it was simply, a, it's another way I think my body just, it's a coping mechanism where my body's like, we can't do this anymore because the way I was in such a state of extremes, it was like, got to be super high functioning, got to be, you know, super achiever, do all these things, make everything look good. And I could only keep that up for so long. And I wasn't genuinely doing it. It was this whole, you know, dance that we all do. Um, and especially before recovery, it was like, that was my way of getting a break, really, was like, that's when I think the depression was just like, okay, and we're stepping out. Like, we are stepping back. It was like really a way to force myself to rest, honestly. Mm -hmm. So I see depression as like multifaceted today, mm -hmm. honestly. I used to, you know, kind of just be like afraid of it. Um, I still maybe am in a little bit, but I try to like look at what is it trying to tell me today? And I'll still have times when I feel like I'm try I'm like only a few steps ahead of it where I'm like outrunning it. Like I gotta just keep busy and I gotta keep this stuff up or I'm gonna slide back into that. But it's also like, well, wait a second. If you slow down and stop being so busy, is there something else that it's actually asking you to look at? Um, and that I won't necessarily slide back into this sort of like immobilized place of depression. If I'm willing to do whatever work it is around that, you know, and I have the tools. So, yeah. And one thing I was just saying to Nicole earlier is that, you know, I'll still have some episodes today that are much more mild. Um, but where I just went through a period just a couple weeks ago where it's like only when it ends, only when it shifts again, where I can look back and go, I think I was kind of depressed for a few weeks there. Like, I don't really even notice it's necessarily happening. Like, I know I'm stressed or like life is feeling hard, but you know, they'll kind of look like, yeah, there was, I think some depression going on where I was just sort of going through the motions and trying to get through the days and then it's something will shift and it will ease. And it's like, oh, all right. Yep. That was another little episode. And here I am again, right? In another little cycle. So that's kind yeah. of how it's shown up for me in like these various cycles. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, um, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that I talk, I'm talking after you because, you know, my way of taking care of myself, I'm definitely more prone to anxiety and, um, and the sort of insomnia side of that. Uh, but depression has, I definitely have a history of depression. And when I look back on it, it seemed to be that I, every time I had 
overcommitted myself. Mm-hmm. I was giving way too much of myself and I was exhausted and depression was a way for me to, you know, time out and, and to tap out, so to speak. Now, of course, I didn't know that at the time, but it was like I couldn't fake, I couldn't manifest an illness, you yeah. know, but I needed to just, you know, I just couldn't keep doing whatever it is I was doing, yeah. you know, and so then it was this like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, of course, hindsight's great to sort of look back and go, oh, that's me saying I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? But of course, to go through it, um, the first time that I got uh, diagnosed, I wasn't even diagnosed with depression. Um, I don't know what I was diagnosed with was when I was 16 and I ended up in the psych ward. And um, I, you know, and that, and that seemed situational. You know what I mean? I think maybe that's why I wasn't diagnosed that way because yeah. it was like, okay, her her home life is any who wouldn't you know feel you know um, helpless in yeah. this kind of situation. I was like, oh, okay, and sure enough, I get out of there and and I I don't have that experience anymore. But then when twenty three, when I got into recovery and gave up you know all drugs, everything. I lasted about three years because I remember in 96, I was feeling depressed. I didn't know that's what it was, you know, and I was talking to my doctor about it and I just was talking. I remember I said, I feel like I'm just trying to walk up this hill, but I have cement boots on, Mm -hmm. you know, and every step is just taking such an effort. And that was me describing depression when I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. And, uh, and she mentioned medication and I at that point and when I was 26 I was like I don't care I'll do it you know whatever I didn't have any feelings about it I was just like she said it's just gonna take those boots off and I was like great Mm -hmm. and I was really fortunate in that so it could have been the placebo effect and that I didn't have any you know it worked I was just like and then I thought like oh I'm gonna get off these so like three years later, I was like, okay, I'm better now. I'm going to get off or whatever. And so when my next uh, depressive period came and I realized I needed medication, that's when I felt like I had failed and I was uh-huh. defeated. Yeah. You know, when I had to go back to her, and I, it might not have been three years. It might have been a year and a half or something. When I went back to her and was like, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble getting out of bed. I'm just lackluster and all that and she said you know you may need to be on these your whole life and that's when and I like failure you know what I mean and that's when she told me the stories I told you guys around you know when you find the right combination the medication isn't going to keep you from feeling it will just throw in these boundaries so that when you so that you can feel sad but you won't go into despondency yeah you know what i mean an existential crisis which is like well i that's part of my character or how's that gonna work? <laughs> you know what i mean like you know and also the other side because again she knew that what i really what i was mostly struggling with was the insomnia and whatever and so yeah i think that where I'm at now as I knock on wood, you know, um, I think that I could experience, not could, I think I experience like low levels of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, it's the recovery piece, like being so supported and whatever that instead of getting stuck in it, which is probably what made it feel harder and worse because mm-hmm. of being so tapped in, it's like I move through whatever grief or whatever I need to move through a lot faster yeah you know and also I don't expect it to never go away I too have listened to a lot of podcasts or read a lot of books on Parker Palmer does a great article Mm -hmm. on depression and that it's like you know it can come back and just Mm -hmm. be like oh okay what are you here to teach me Mm -hmm. you know yeah, I think more recently I've come to see it much like the disease, right? Much like an eating disorder or addiction where it's in remission for me most of the time mm-hmm. these days because of medication, because of all of my you know tools and other practices. Um, 
but yeah, I think I've come to accept that I'm never going to be cured. Just like I'm not going to be cured of being an addict. I'm yeah. not going to be cured of having depression. It's, it's going to come back in various ways. And, and that's just kind of the nature yeah. of it for me anyway. Yeah. Um, Megan, do you mind talking about, do you have yeah. experience with medication or various um, treatments? Yeah, I, I do. So um, I remember, so I had a, a bad breakup like my freshman year in college and for, thought it was all my fault, which is part of my codependence <laughs> and disease. Uh, and I, I remember going to the school psychologist and then them being like, okay, well, you need, you're depressed. You need to go on medication. And I was like, wait, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and then they also had me talk to a school psychologist for like a limited amount of time. Um, so there's been a couple different times in my life when I have tried SSRIs and I have just found them to be like limited having limited effectiveness mm -hmm. and the side effects are really bad. Mm -hmm. um, I can talk a little bit about when I was in my major depressive episode, what I did yeah. find worked. Yeah. Um, so That's what I was saying. Like yeah. I was really lucky that, you know, it worked. Boom. Yeah. And that is That's not awesome. the experience yeah. I hear from other people. Yeah. I did not really. So I, when I was in my major depressive episode in 2016, I did get SSRIs for that. And it was not really hell I think I was like so far down in the depression hole by the time I got medication that I it like was only big like not really that helpful mm -hmm. um and I read this book that I should have looked up the title for before I got here, <laughs> called, something called like the the drug-free treatment for depression yeah. not program approved literature whatever take what you like leave the rest um and it gave like a whole bunch of like scientifically backed studies for things that help with depression and the one thing that really helped for me was exercising outside every day um and the the stat that i remember is that even on the most overcast day it's still three times brighter outside as it is mm. inside the house <clears throat> and so and for me for me, I was when I was in my major depressive episode. It was very much like that sloth can't get out of bed. Like I was like mm -hmm. sleeping sixteen hours a day, so mm -hmm. I was not so worried about kicking up my exercise yeah. yet. It yeah. was just like, oh, I just need to put on like my my shoes and like go take a twenty minute walk. Right. Um, and that turned the dial like enough for me that then I was able to do other self care things that kind of like got me out of the hole um and one thing that i also realized so part of my depression was it was like well i moved here winter of 2016 was like a terrible winter i didn't know a lot of people and then it was also the election of mm. donald trump <laughs> and i was was reading this book about fascism <laughs> which seems like totally absurd no but i remember i was i called one of my good my good friends uh who is a therapist and she was like oh my god stop reading that book like what do you do it like no wonder why you're depressed and um and what I just realized was that my mind was so, in, like, I think I already have, like, a very strong negative bias, but my mind was just so trained on yeah. the negative of, like, oh, my God, the world is ending, we're <laughs> entering a fascist dictator, like, what am I supposed to do? Uh, and just was in this spiral. And what I realized that was that my mind was not going to move towards the goodness unless I gave it the material to do so. Right. And so I started to seek out beautiful things and lovely things mm -hmm. and good things and put down the book about fascism <laughs> and like read right. other like Mary Oliver poetry yeah. or yeah. whatever and like just start and just put a lot of and it was tremendously effortful in yes. Russian to to do that. Yeah. But it started to like just turn the dial a little bit mm -hmm. to the point where I was able to climb out of it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just want to um, reinforce that because, you know, for a different experience when I was going through the trauma memories and was dealing with, you know, an intense experience of negativity and whatever. So whether it's depression or grieving or whatever, that I also had to put down anything that was um, just 
too adult, too, like, I was like, I have no skin on right now. And that's when it's like, I also had to consciously bring in the light. Mm -hmm. I had to consciously, like, for me, I, how I got through that time period was I committed to going to meetings every day because of the connection. And also because it was like this one hour of hope. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So doing that, and, and as you guys know, it's like reading Harry Potter because I'm just like so desperate for hope and watching, you know, getting really into the um, Pixar animation because, again, like it'd be like, you know, the Star Trek Enterprise where they're like, our shields are down. You know what I mean? Like my shields were down. So I couldn't put my, my shields were down and my engines were like puttering along. So mm-hmm. I had to actively seek out life affirming things of all different kinds. Absolutely all different kinds. And um, and that was also when I had no physical capabilities at all, so I couldn't exercise. Mm-hmm. That wasn't something. So I really had to work on, mm-hmm. you know, that I've, I've really got to keep myself out of a state of hopelessness, mm-hmm. you know. And um, that was the time period where my sponsees know this story or maybe they've forgotten about, you know, having to check in every day and say what I'm grateful for and just not... I mean, just nothing, nothing came up. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, there was the woman that had the downturned mouth. And so she basically, what, what I didn't have the lingo at the time, but basically she had resting bitch face. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I thought she was like, I'm like, damn, what's going on with her? And she was fine. You know, when she started talking to her, like, oh, she's like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know? And so that night was just like, I'm grateful for resting bitch face or not for not having resting bitch face. <laughs> And, but the point, and that was where that exercise, you know, checking in every day, how are you feeling? What are you grateful for? Is that my commitment to doing that was, was again, seeking like there is something, cause I was like pissed that I wasn't getting hit by a bus. Like every day I was like, mm-hmm. why didn't I get by a hit by a bus today? <clears throat> this is fucking bullshit. Why am I having to live through this? And so to force my brain, you know, to like, you know, and force it the way that you have to force kids to eat vegetables, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? To look for something. So those are things that I also did. What about mm-hmm. you, Stace? What did you? Yeah. So I, um, when the depression first came were you, up, did you do medication or no? Yes. I have a long history of medication. Um, I think I first tried. Oh good. I'm glad Megan's on the show. Cause I didn't want to be, like, yeah. you know, promote like, Oh, you have to do medication. No, yeah. there are many ways that you can. Yeah. I think there's many paths. Um, and I, yeah, I think I had been struggling with the depression for, I don't know, maybe a year or two. And and this was in the 90s when, like, Prozac was a big thing. It was um, in the water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were going to start to add it, like, fluoride. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, yeah, so it was kind of like, you know, and this is where we see the evolution of healthcare too, which, you know, with some hindsight is helpful that, like, as we develop these new medications – there's uh, sometimes an attitude a little bit more on one side where it's like, well, just take this medication and it's going to solve all your problems. Right. So, and that was also just kind of the uh, mentality in my family, you know, like it's a magic pill, right? Just fix it. Yeah. yeah. Just fix it. <laughs> yeah. Just, it should work the same way yeah. as like ibuprofen. If you yeah. have a headache, right? It's yeah. going to just take it away. What's wrong with her? Yeah. Go fix her. Yeah. 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 So it was like, okay, well, so there's these pills. And so the Prozac, I don't remember it. I don't remember it doing like much different, honestly, like really helping or making it worse. Um, I think, yeah, from my memory of it, it was just like the anorexia continued, the depression continued. Yeah. So it's like, okay, that doesn't really seem to be helping. I also was doing um, therapy starting around this time, kind of off and on. Um, and then I think I tried, it was like Zoloft was the next one. You know, mm-hmm. There was more yeah. uh, medications on the market. So that one actually worked fairly well although I was using it while I was drinking and using a lot of drugs throughout those years so you know it's hard to say what all that was and you're like you're not supposed to drink when you take that by the way good times Um, yeah I'm lucky that like nothing worse happened it just clicked in my head like oh yeah I was drinking a lot too when I was of course they did I think yeah there's probably one time where I like took the pill like with a beer right it's like okay so and then 
I, when I got sober, so it's like, yeah, I was taking, I think the Zoloft I, I ended up taking for like quite a few years and then yeah. I switched to, it was like Wellbutrin was the next one, yeah. you know, cause I would like stop one and I went through that cycle many times too. Like I would be feeling better at different yeah. times. I'm like, do I really need this? You yeah. know, and there was this whole kind of cycle I'd go through. And this was of course before recovery, before yeah. I understood shame and all of that where it's like, well, if I just work hard enough, yeah, I won't be depressed anymore. Yeah. Like that was a belief totally. I've struggled with for mm -hmm. a long time. time. Yeah. It's like if I just do all these right if I just do everything right, yeah, then I won't be depressed. Like there's still a part of me, even though there's more messaging around like it's this chemical imbalance and there's all these factors, like I still it's still my fault right. if I can't get like control of this. Right. So, you know, I'd stop taking a medication because I was like, well, I think I'm feeling better. And then of course, like there comes the depression again. This is right. also before I was in recovery and had a lot of tools. So I, you know, would go on to try something else. So then the Wellbutrin also worked because mm -hmm. I started taking that. And then I got into recovery and got sober and of course faced a lot of depression after putting down alcohol and drugs. Um, and so I definitely was like, I need my medication. I'm just fine with that. And then basically over the you know more than 10 years 11 years now that i've been in recovery yeah i've gone through a lot of different again cycles with depression um where i've still been in that kind of questioning of like do i really need this medication mm -hmm. you know i've stopped a few times and kind of given myself a break just to see kind of like what am i like at baseline and it's always been like you need the medication <laughs> like just to confirm you need the medication right. and then uh an experience that i know is pretty significant for any mother who has is or has been on antidepressants um, is the whole like do you take your medication during pregnancy so there is a whole thing and it's all very individual um, and some of them are do you know what the what are the what's the discussion oh so it's like <clears throat> there's guidelines around like which ones are safer than others you know there's right. kind of limited clinical trials because right. you know there's really kind of an ethical issue there. It's like you're not going to deliberately put a bunch of pregnant women on various right. antidepressants, right. you know, with the yeah. the possibility that their children could be harmed. So that sort of limited research, um, it's like I think Zoloft was a safer one. I think there's a couple others that are considered like Yeah. Um they have them sort of in a class, you know, of risk. Yeah. I forget what that is now. It's like I may have this backwards, but like A is, you know, basically no risk. And then there's like B and, and then right. C is showing some like some possible risk. It's kind of in that range. So I went through, you know, a whole personal thing where I'm like, do I do this? So knowing that I was going to try to get pregnant, I stopped my medication. Like I think a few months before I got pregnant right away, which was a real gift in that I wasn't living for months and months off medication, like yeah. trying to get pregnant, which can be really stressful. So it was like, got pregnant. And then I was like, let's just see how this goes. You know, I was very transparent with my doctor and they understood where I was at um, being someone who's taken medication for a long time yeah they're like let's just see how it goes if you're struggling in your pregnancy like you can start taking medication again so both of my pregnancies I actually felt pretty good I think it's just like the hormones of pregnancy were helping me right. you know you feel at least for me I felt so different in my body and so many things were going on that it didn't feel necessary and then it was really the transition especially with my first child um, afterward and I knew that was like that was the next stage to prepare for it's right. like postpartum, postpartum depression yeah. even if you have no history of depression yeah. which I did it's like that is a risk for many women so I was prepared like I may need to get back on medication very quickly um, I also that's a whole other question like if you breastfeed like that kind of goes along with the pregnancy thing like there are some basically yeah. the same ones are considered safer that you can you know choose to take those if you're breastfeeding and I I went for I think it was a six months maybe it was even nine months I think it might have been nine months yeah I'm not sure my timeline where I was it's so funny again in retrospect I can look back and it was like I was clearly depressed after I had my <laughs> first child like I was struggling um but you know you know what you know at the time and it's like you feel so crazy when you have a new baby yeah that part of it's just like is this how I'm supposed to feel I don't know yeah um that I remember getting to a point and I, there was one point, so this was about when he was six months old and we'd signed him up for swim lessons. And this, you know, the little public pool is just like five minutes away from our house. And we had to just like, you know, bring his little swim gear and get ourselves like in our suits because you got to be in there with your kid and just, yeah. you know, that whole process. And then it's like, you're only in the pool for like half an hour and then you, you get him out and you change. Right. And just the prospect of just doing that was like, 
are you kidding me? Like, right. this is what we have to do. Like, it felt so overwhelming. And those are, like, the real kind of tests for me. Yeah. That I know I'm feeling depressed and when, like, what otherwise should be a fairly reasonable... Simple test. Test is, overwhelming, yeah. And I was, like, yeah. pushing myself through that week of, like, taking him to swim lessons. I was just like, oh, yeah. my God. Um, and then I think I even let it go on for, like, a little bit longer. And then I was like, yeah, I need to, I, I'm struggling. I need to get back on medication. And I knew that's just what I needed to do. I continued to breastfeed him for yeah. however many more months while I was on medication. And I just trusted, it's like, I trusted what my doctor said and I trusted what the literature said. It's like, this is safe enough for your baby. Yeah. Um, there will not be, you know, adverse effects for him. And so then I kind of just went through that process again with my second child, but with much less, like I started taking medication again after I had her maybe after two months. I don't even know if I waited that long. I was just like, yep, need the medication again. <laughs> like, I know how hard this is, and now I have two kids, so <laughs> let's get that medication going. Um, so, you know, it's just like, it's all experience, right? Yeah. So along with that, I should also say, like, medication is one thing. It's kind of how I maybe, like, the analogy would be, uh, like, there's sort of like the praying or like what we think of as like the magic of program. Yeah. And, you know, the pill is kind of magic when you think about it. I pop it into my mouth and it's doing something to my brain in there right. that I have nothing to do with, but I'm trusting it's working. And then there's the hard work. Like, yeah. I have to do both of those things to actually um, be in remission Yeah. with my depression. So I take my medication and it's like my recovery obviously is part of that. If I'm not working my recovery, I'm going to be facing depression. There's no question about it. Yeah. Um, I am seeing, you know, I see a therapist sometimes more often than not, depending on what's going on. Um, I have a huge support network that I yeah. draw on. And a lot of it is what I heard Megan talk about and you talk about, Nicole, is just sort of like the the habits or conditions of your life. Yeah. You know, I think that that is a thing I wrestled with, too, and it would come up in my family around, well, why are so many people depressed these days? Like, people never used to have this issue before. And it's like, well, one, we recognize mental illness much more accurately than we used to. People have always been depressed. Do you remember the drug culture? Well, yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, they're thinking back to, I don't know, the 19th century or something. Yeah, when everyone was drinking I know. and on opium and I know. coke. Yeah. yeah, or I guess I should say thinking back to the like depression era culture where it's just like you pull yourself up by your bootstraps oh, yeah. and you make the best of it, even yeah. though everyone's and miserable. You, <laughs> yeah, and then you drink moonshine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah self-medicating has been from the beginning. Right. Yeah, but again, I think that's yeah. another like myth, right? Or yeah. I should say, you know, yeah, misconception that oh, you know, there's like a why are more yeah people depressed? It's like well, one, well, we we can identify yeah. it more accurately yeah. and two let's also be honest about just the conditions of our lives I think again there's always been depression in various forms throughout human yeah. history but there's conditions of our modern lives that are more conducive I yeah. can see where it's like the what, stress levels yeah and what Megan talked about like just getting outside yeah. for a certain amount of time I mean we yeah. spend the least amount outside out of you know human beings of any yeah. period in history and you know that's going to show up somewhere right spending time you know spending time sitting in front of a screen where you're not actually talking to any other human beings yeah all day you know so there's basic human needs that i've come to recognize like being outside in fresh air connecting with actual other human beings in the yeah. same room and in looking room. them in the eye yeah, in a room. <laughs> like yeah. what we're doing right now yeah. right? being in a circle of people and like feeling their energy and yeah. sharing that um you know basic nutritious food uh, basic movement of your body, you know, nothing extreme for any of these things, but just like yeah. tending to your body, yeah. um, having, practicing sleep hygiene, which is a really hard thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, like going to bed, like having your little sleep rituals and making, setting things up so that you're then feeling relaxed and comfortable and ready to go to bed, like around the same time, you know, yeah. that type of thing. So it's basically like practicing discipline to, well, let me, let me interrupt here that. and let's yeah. bring it back. Cause this ties into you know, how our depression and and having to be in the rooms, mm -hmm. you know yeah. what I mean? So you want to speak to that or yeah. having to work no, a program, I, having I can eating disorder? speak to that a yeah. lot. Um, yeah, so I mean, part of, to build off what Stacy is saying, I mean, part of the reason why I was so depressed was because I work from home. Mm -hmm. I wasn't seeing anybody except for like video conference calls mm -hmm. all day. And then once I was sucked into the vortex of depression, I there was like maybe a month or two where I like could not, I just could not make myself go to meetings. Mm -hmm. I just could, it was like too much effort. I couldn't mm -hmm. do it. Uh, or it was also felt too vulnerable or something. Um, and part of my slowly working my way out of that was um, 
I realized like, wow, I'm really isolated all day. Like, I, and this was before Nicole and I were working together um, in a sponsor sponsor relationship. Um, and so I would actually force myself to go to something and it was usually meetings. I would force myself to either go to a meeting or like some kind of meditation group or something like that every night, even if I did not feel like mm-hmm. it. And I, I don't have kids, so it was like easier for me yeah. to do this. But, um, uh, and just like forcing myself to have human contact, even though I did not feel like, at, at first it didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, that was instrumental to my recovery. Um, and then now when I feel some depression coming on, it's like, it's still, it's still scary. I still have fear around it, but I have a lot more tools to deal with it. I have a wonderful sponsor. I have a therapist. I have, you know, I can go to a lot of meetings and, um, I even, I, I was feeling the depression coming on actually a couple of weeks ago when my, my partner went out of town and I, deliberately talked about it in one of my meetings because Mm -hmm. I knew like I was feeling some shame about that like I think I still have that judgment of like Mm -hmm. because I think that was true in the culture of my family as well like I I now through therapy I see like oh everyone in my family was depressed it wasn't just me (laughs) but no one was talking about it and it was your own personal failing if you weren't like great all the time right and so just being able to to talk about that in a meeting and saying like I'm feeling the depression coming on and then I'm feeling shame about the depression coming on and I'm also feeling shame about the fact that I feel like my partner is leaving and I don't you know and I am like do I just get depressed when he leaves like what the fuck is that (laughs) (laughs) that's not the not quote-unquote not the way it's supposed to be but uh yeah, so um, I think talking about it is re- like with with any amount of shame, ta- talking right. about it is really really important. And mm-hmm. using the rooms and using fellows, um, and I had a lot of fellows come up to me after the meeting or reach out to me or call me and be like, "Oh yeah, I know exactly how that feels, mm-hmm. right?" Um, that we're not the only ones that that struggle with it. And I think especially, you know, I. I think a lot of people in the rooms are also like adult ch- children of alcoholics and dysfunction and the the programming for you know depression and abandonment happens when we're so young and yeah. so it's just like the mental health stuff is so it's so interlinked with our mm-hmm. family of origin what about the yeah. food? How do you handle the food? Or yeah. what's your experience with the food when you're depressed and dealing with that? Yeah, that's a good question. Depression and food. What's so, that like for you? I um, That is where the lack of will to do anything actually <laughs> works for me in my program. <laughs> because I have no... Like, even binging seems like too much effort. <laughs> so... The only so it's the only reason why I did not relapse during this like last major depressive episode was like I like literally would and this is like not good either but I would like make a piece of toast and that was like all I could do right for food. Right. or like yeah. it was just like I'll have some yogurt or you know what I, so I was actually under eating yeah. during that time which is you know not great but it it yeah and a little it was, unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, huh. I don't really feel like yeah. eating right, and and actually, that's that happens. I, when I don't know sick, if it's unusual. But... It seems unusual. Yeah, that's you know how I knew I'm that it, sick. That it would be, you know, that with depression, there's a lot of again the stereotype that we were talking yeah. about earlier, like sitting on the with your pasta. You yeah. know what I mean, or eating yeah. something just totally out of the bag. Yeah. I mean, I was sleeping for sixteen hours. A day <laughs> yes, and like not showering. <laughs> 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 For whatever reason, was just not a thing. So, you know, if our abstinence required daily showers, yeah. I would Yeah, I was going for dreadlocks, but yeah. other than that, yeah. you know what I mean? Awesome. Yeah. And then in terms of, let's stay with you for a little bit. Um, in terms, and then we'll go. How about, um, you know, in terms of, you know, for our, this is all our people out there, you know, because mostly it's just our PDX tribe. What about um, tools or things that we would want to, first of all, definitely you're not alone, you know, second mm-hmm. of all, that um, it can come back. So let's sort of end with, and you guys can go first, like, 
like if we were at a meeting and this were the topic and it would be ending on, you know, experience, strength, and hope. Yeah. You know, where it's, um, well, actually, who wants to go first on that? You go. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, so the hope. Well, again, I think we kind of talked about this for yeah, me. Yeah, let's go about five minutes each. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just, again, keeping the idea of the acceptance of the depression. Like, um, again, the idea that just as I'm not going to cure myself of addiction, I can't cure myself of depression. At least that's my experience of it. So accepting like it's going to be part of my life. Um, and as Megan was talking about, like I've done a lot of shame healing around that where it's like, it's not my fault. And I'll, I'm just being really aware of like, if shame is coming up, like if I'm hearing those messages of like, see, you're just not working hard enough. The depression is back or, you know, like really questioning, like, where is that coming from? If it comes up. Um, so just really practicing like a lot of those tools of compassion um, and just, you know, examining where is the messaging coming from if I am getting any of those types of like shameful messages. Um, and again, yeah, going into like, what is this depression trying to show me? Um, because just like the disease, right, aspects of that, like it started out benign or it's or it started out with good intentions, um, I guess is a better way to put it. You know, we were in very painful circumstances and our disease showed up, hey, let me help you not be in pain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's how our brains respond. And I think depression is kind of similar where it's like, hey, honey, do you just need a break? Mm -hmm. Like, is that how the depression's showing up? Or you just need to like step back and not be trying to do so many things and maybe just make part of your day where you don't have anything scheduled where you can truly. So for me, the fine line between like, you know, depression and kind of just like, needing to not wanting to do anything mm -hmm. um, and just needing rest like it's a very fine line between those things and it's mm -hmm. like how about you just actually make the choice to give yourself rest where you're not actually doing anything and for me that's how the disease fits into that's where a lot of my overeating my binging was related to just finding a way to give myself a break because yeah. if I ate enough then I'd be sitting there too full to want to do anything anyway and yeah. So it was this weird way of just like letting myself take a break, um, and then through. Let me let me throw something in sure. here because I want you guys to speak to this, which sure. is um, in this is what we haven't talked about is so much of recovery is about grieving. Yes. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? We put the food down. Yeah. And then the reasons we picked up the food, we have to reveal. Yeah. So speaking to what you're saying around like, you know, the so we have to learn how to grieve. Yeah. Without it necessarily going into depression. So mm -hmm. sometimes what you're feeling is grief, which you need to be feeling. Exactly. And that's been, there's where the hope is for me in my recovery journey is like, as I've learned to show up and feel these feelings, and that's a whole learning process too, um, right? Where I can actually sit down and have like a really deep cry and, and maybe kind of be feeling like within that space for the rest of the afternoon or day. And then I wake up the next day feeling like cleansed and mm. it's not like the whatever the trigger was has gone away, but I, I processed and I moved through some feelings where a lot of the depression for me is not moving through the feelings. I was about to say it's, it's, stuck. The, it's the like cloud hanging around that's like, if you would just dig deeper and go straight to the source of this, the depression wouldn't be hanging around, but because I'm unable or unwilling um, <clears throat> to do that, that's where the depression comes in. So for me, I experienced partially I think I experience depression much less now because I know how to identify and make time to move through right. what the actual root of those feelings are um, and sometimes I have to go and like cry every day for mm -hmm. the next you know week or however long yeah um, or do whatever it is that I need to do you know be talking a lot to yeah my people um, but yeah so it's like okay, I have choices in how I respond to it and there's days where it's like you know what depending on my schedule where it's like I'm just going to do the minimum of what I have yeah. to do. I'm on a low capacity day to day and everybody gets to have those yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the loving like approach I try to practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can speak to that. Yeah. That, uh, I call it uh, minimum viable work day. <laughs> My depression day. Minimum viable work day. Uh, and I've gotten a lot better at accepting that at like like 
30% of capacity for a depression day is excellent. It's yes. amazing. That is yeah. great. 20%. Great. Yeah. Yes. Just whatever. Um, and so having some acceptance around that. Um, yeah. And I think that the, the grief, I mean, that's one thing, Nicole, of your and my work together of being able to articulate that emotion that I don't think... Th- I don't think I had like the language for that mm-hmm. before. And part of what spurred my 2016 major depressive episode was that I had left San Francisco where my community had just been decimated because it's San Francisco is a very expensive and mm-hmm. hard place to stay and then moved up here without really considering the implications of it. Um, and I never allowed myself to process the grief of that loss Mm -hmm. and so the depression just Mm -hmm. quashed me um and now yeah i feel like it's there the depression is like much shorter and then i this last couple weeks ago when it was coming on i thank god had a, a therapy appointment like that day and ended up processing a bunch of grief and stuff with my therapist of like the root of the depression and the the fear and the grief and all of that and then and I was actually in a place where I was like maybe I will go to plaid pantry and get some snacks and that'll be great and it'll be my harm reduction day or whatever <laughs> and then like once I went to my therapist I was like oh no I'm fine like it's fine I don't need to, I don't need to do that right. uh, so yeah and I think yeah the the allowing ourselves to process what's underneath it yeah when we're right uh, yeah and i also think to speak to what stacy said is sometimes it can be like a a confluence of emotions and it can feel very confusing and it takes its own time to kind of unravel mm-hmm. and so and also that coupled with like the lack of energy of depression like to expect ourselves to just like be able to process through everything really mm-hmm. quickly i think is um or unrealistic for me sometimes. So to give myself time to just mm-hmm. be in that space and trust the process of recovery mm-hmm. that it will unravel at its time, you know, and yeah. You so. had me at confluence. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets points for that. I know. Yeah. We gotta have her back on. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, definitely. <laughs> 10 point word. Yeah, totally. 15. Yeah. At least at the 15. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what word I used, and I got 15 points. Yeah. Um, recalcitrant. That, there you go. It yes, was recalcitrant. And, uh, you know, so when professional teachers give you, you know, you gotta take those points. Yeah. So um, I don't want to close just yet because I sort of want to add this piece as a closing, which is, so my experience now is, is that the more, and this, this may be a mermaid thing. So I, which is my, you know, cute, catchy phrase for highly sensitive intuitive, um, which is that I noticed that the more. Uh, recover I have the more emotionally present I am in my body Mm -hmm. the more in sync I am with the seasons of the planet Mm -hmm. and what I've learned is when I've looked back on the times that I was depressed of course it was in the winter Mm -hmm. and or the spring surprisingly enough and uh, and a friend of mine said you know well spring is a violent season Mm -hmm. and what I realized also a lot of times is being a diehard introvert that I consider the the summertime sometimes to be a bit foreboding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh my God, all these people are mm-hmm. gonna want and I for those who don't know, I deal with, you know, extreme social anxiety and it can be crippling at times. In our next episode we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, but but again that what I noticed so it's like spring is a time for me, you know, it's like this you know, how am I going to be? Mm-hmm. Am I gonna be okay this you know, like not knowing but then winter you know, it's it's the season of death. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is, is that it was something you both said, that it's like, okay, my experience and what I've heard, and we're not professionals, is that depression is really stuck energy. Yeah. And But here's the other side of that, is that without support, you know what I mean? I, I can't unstuck myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so... If I'm stuck in depression, I probably, it's, you know, it's like a dam that builds up. So basically it's like, 
there's this emotional experience that I need to have and I'm t actually taking care of myself mm -hmm. by withholding it because I know my, you know, again, this is like I talk to my friends and I'm like, you need to trust your spiritual self, which is, is that it's like, you don't have the support you need to be able to feel these feelings. That's, and that's the tension is, is you're holding back because you can't stop yeah. and process this right now. And why not? Because you don't have the support in place to, to hold you up so that you can have this experience. Yeah. So it's sort of like, you know, so, and then we make it worse by isolating because now we're in the depression and, you know, we're going with what, what works. And so again, the first thing is, is like, to, that what I would recommend is to recognize, okay, if I'm in depression, the energy is stuck. Why? I don't feel like I have the space and the support to be able to process through these feelings. Mm -hmm. So then again, the first thing I need to do, or the, if I have any action, is to reach out for help and mm -hmm. start to build the support so that I can, you know, it, begin to experience these feelings. Also, when I was younger, I thought that I had to open up the dam and just let the feelings come and let them knock me down. Yeah. You know what I mean? I thought like... I had to do it that way because that's how I was when I was younger. I was like, all right, just let's do this. Let's, you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, now that I'm older, it's like, no, you can, you know, put a little pipe there with a, and just release and release in these manageable pieces. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that, but again, you need the support. So, and it, and again, like my people, whatever, we got a lot of causes and conditions. So meetings are not enough. Yeah. You know, meetings are not enough. I think we can attest to that. Yeah. So um, I guess we'd want to end with just saying like, oh, but what I was going with the seasonal thing is, is that let me finish with, with what I was saying with seasonals. I have learned that December, I know people talk about affected seasonal disorder. I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely, but again, like you said, like, oh, give them a pill, give them just tell them to look at more light. I'm like, well, it is the month, it is the time of darkness and yeah. grieving. Like, you know, there's a, there's a reason for that, you know? And so to, to now when I have December, it's always something that I'm grieving. And again, having weeks where I'm crying every day, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm, I'm like uber relying on my support system. Like, crazy yeah like crazy and I think that that's <clears throat> sort of you know my hope is like if you're looking for the hope that it's like someday this will end no grief is a part of life sadness is a part of life we're gonna create things we're gonna lose things people are gonna go away also I want to give a plug-in thanks to Megan that um, the Buddha never said life is suffering okay so I want you to remember that never said that Buddha said that in life there is suffering, mm. you know, and where there is suffering, we need to grieve. So grieving is going to be a part of life. Go ahead. And I will add on to that to say, and there is a pathway out of suffering, which is the Buddhist uh, Eightfold Path. Right. Just FYI. Just FYI. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. if you want to go that route. But the point is, is that what we want to spread around is that B the Buddha never said life is suffering, yeah. that there is suffering in life. Anyway, so yeah, so it's like part of being in recovery is learning how to live and to have all of these feelings and experiences and to go through them to not lose our abstinence and that we were never meant to go through these things alone and that you know it requires support and you know we're all just doing the best we can what do you guys want to say as a sort of shout out last yeah i guess one last thought is like we kind of talked about is keeping the depression like right-sized like so many other things we talk about in program like I can't deny that it's there or be like I'm gonna outrun it and I'm just gonna you know keep myself so busy that I have to deny it's there or I'm also not gonna like wallow right mm -hmm. I'm not gonna be like oh well here I am depressed again there's I'm just someone who has depression there's nothing I can do like there's somewhere in between right, right. where I accept like okay this is happening I also can't just like fix it right I might just have to kind of be in it for a little bit and then I also have so many tools to respond to it so it's like that middle place mm -hmm. um, and the middle way the middle way yeah keep mm -hmm. with that idea and then I, I think I'll close with um, for me to saying as someone with a little bit of time and program again that's I think part of the acceptance where it's like it's really helpful for me to hear in meetings people with time talking about that they're going through some depression and then they you know are into another 
stage where it's not again this is not a diploma program like you're constantly growing and changing and that idea which I held on to for a long time in the beginning was like oh I'm gonna like heal myself out of ever being depressed again (laughs) and it's like that is not life and it's not this program so just being honest about those struggles and talking about how we're responding to them like that is recovery for me today yeah yeah um my I guess what recovery looks like is for me so much of my childhood I was was isolation right and not talking about the problems and just like a very intense feeling of loneliness and so for me what step two three is is like oh I can't do this by myself anymore (laughs) I need to ask for help I need to ask other people for help and um, what has defined my life in recovery is asking for help and knowing that like there's not sh- shame in that. That's actually like what you're supposed to do to live a <laughs> rich and connected life. But you wouldn't know that from my family of origin. Uh, I, I I literally did not know that until I went into the rooms. So yeah, and that like that for me is the hope. And I think that's yeah. Also the beautiful thing about just being in the rooms is you get to see. All of the, for in my case, it's like a lot of women, right, or who are in the rooms who have been through like everything, have been mm-hmm. through everything, have been through depression, have been through anxiety, have been through deaths and divorces and moving and what, major illnesses, major yeah. illnesses, whatever, and just they're still there, they're still there mm-hmm. and still working their program, and that for me is just like a tremendous source of strength. Um, to, and to have all of these role models for like the next part of my life and to know that like I'm not going to be alone no matter what it is. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a beautiful oh. way to end. I'm getting chills as she's yeah. saying that. Is anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And with that, we're going to end and stay tuned for our next podcast where we talk about anxiety. Yay! Yay! <laughs>